Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Mulligan, and today's episode is with the brilliant Rob Kearney, also known as the world's strongest gay on Instagram. He is one of the strongest men in the world, and it was an absolute pleasure talking to Rob. I've heard about Rob through a few of our mutual friends, Luke Stoltman and Tom Stoltman. They've always spoken so highly of him. And I wanted to sit down with Rob and talk to him about sort of the adversity that he has faced in strength sports, getting into sports and just in life in general. So Rob is one of those guys who, and he won't mind me saying this, he is not the typical build for a strong man. He's not, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, he's actually usually the smallest guy on the open class field but he is one of the strongest. And that to me alone is a very powerful thing. And he, he talks about how he, um, he's got that chip on his shoulder. He is quite masochistic in the way that he trains. And yeah, it's really unbelievable to hear. And then also sort of in the strongman world and in sports in general, being a gay man, what that means and, and sort of the adversities that he's has to, he's had to face, but also some of the, the community around Strongman, how they've been so accepting as well. So it's a really, really interesting conversation. I'm super excited to dive into this with Rob Kearney. Today's video was made possible at mulliganbrothers.com where you can get the Memento Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you are a mortal. It's 80 years of tiny little squares made up where you fill in each square um, that represent a week of your life. You, you shade it into where you're at right now. So mine's filled into I was 30. And each week I shade in an extra week and um, it's a very powerful tool. You look at that every single day and you're reminded that one day you won't shade in a box and you better use this time wisely. It is the most powerful tool I have used this year and it's available at www.mulliganbrothers.com. Use code podcast for 10% off. Also, the t-shirts, hoodies and journals are also available where all the profits from the website go back into our mission of inspiring change, whether it's through the podcast documentaries or films, feature films that we have coming out soon as well. So thank you so much to everybody who has supported us. Before that, let's dive into this conversation with Rob Kearney. For people who, who don't know, just introduce yourself and what you do. Uh, so my name is Rob Kearney, also known as the world's strongest gay, and I am the pound for pound strongest man in the world and an international strongman competitor. Um, whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in the U.S., so I'm a, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my family then relocated to Connecticut, and then I spent most of my life um, after I you know, went off to uni uh, living in Massachusetts, so really on the northeast side of the U.S. Um, and then just recently, literally about a month ago, my husband and I just moved to the West Coast, um, and we're now living in Seattle, Washington. Oh, wow. <laughs> so early days for someone around the world who doesn't know what sort of Brooklyn, what was it like growing up in that area? Um, you know, it's, it's city life. It's, you know, Brooklyn, New York is just outside of Manhattan. Um, you know, the big apple and New York city. And it's, so it's, it's like I said, it's city life. And I, I don't remember too, too much. Um, we moved out of there when I was six years old. Um, you know, but I, I remember, you know, just playing little league baseball, um, you know, t-ball if you will. And, you know, growing up playing sports and enjoying time with my family. And then once we moved to Connecticut, you know, and I started grade school and uh, started to get a little bit more involved, that's where, you know, more of the memories come into play, um, you know, in that around that time. 
Okay, so so um, early days, you say you was involved in sport. Was that sort of uh, a passion or was it just sort of pastime or? Yeah, no, I mean, I had always been athletic. Well, I'll, I'll use quotes it's when I say athletic. Um, I had enjoyed sports. I was, <laughs> I, I always joke around and say I was a mediocre athlete, um, you know, and, and I just really enjoyed playing different sports. You know, I played American football. I played baseball. I played soccer or, you know, football as everyone else calls it. Um, and I always just liked being involved and being active, uh, but I was always a bigger kid. So I always struggled a little bit. So when I played American football, I played the offensive line, um, you know, so there wasn't much movement going on with that, but I was a big brute that could stop people from getting to the quarterback. Um, you know, when I was playing baseball, I was actually a third baseman, um, which was a lot of fun, you know, a lot of action in that position, had a good arm so I could make the throw across the diamond to first. Uh, and then when playing soccer, my name was, I was a defender and they used to call me the wall because I would tend to not let people get by me. So, you know, my, my size has always played to my advantage when playing sports. Um, and I think that's kind of what led me down the path to doing what I do now. At which point did it switch, like from sort of being something you enjoy to do to be, you know, you was a little bit more serious? Was it was there a point in time where it switched for you? Uh, you know, for me, you know, especially in strongman, I, I started off in the sport when I was young. I was only seventeen years old when I did my first competition, uh, and I sucked. <laughs> you know, I really wasn't good whatsoever. Uh, and for me, starting this sport, it was never. It was never to get to world's strongest man. It was never to break world records. It was never to do this as a living. It was more of something that was for fun and I enjoyed it and it kept me active. It kept me motivated. It had me set goals to do stuff further in life. And I think what the moment it switched was I had been doing the sport for probably about three years when I kind of realized that, you know, there's a pro system here in the US that, the, you know, there's 105 kilo pros and the heavyweight pros. And at that time I was competing as a 105 and I realized, oh, okay, like I'm pretty good at this, at this level. I think I could, could make a run here in the 105 class. Um, and that was about 2012. Um, so I'd been doing the sport for about three and a half years at that point. And I realized that I could be pretty good in that weight class, but it wasn't until 2016 um, that I made the jump to the heavyweight division um, and competing in the opens and tried to make a run at the bigger competitions. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely want to touch on uh, the the size element of things. I think it's like wild. Uh, just before we do, um, for for me, uh, you say that you did it for fun, and I, I think a lot of people could get a lot out of just doing sports for fun and start and starting at that point for everyday life. Is that something you'd recommend? And like, how do people apply that to sort of everyday life as well? Yeah, I think I think um, I think the most people, the most successful people, you know, especially in sports and, and in life, they, they tend to not take things too seriously. Um, you know, especially for me, I realized that I compete my best when I'm having fun. Um, if I take things too seriously, if I'm, you know, kind of head my head's down, I'm, I'm not my normal self, then I tend to not compete as well. And I've had my best performances when in between events, I'm singing and dancing and just joking around with people and just having a good time. Those tend to be my best competitions. 
And I think if people kind of have that outlook at everything that, you know, when you're enjoying something, you tend to do better at it. Um, you know, it just kind of extrapolates into all pieces of life. You know, you enjoy work more, you enjoy your hobbies more. And, you know, for me, it ended up turning my hobby into a career, which wasn't expected whatsoever when I first started the sport. What was the uh, moment you, like, you realized you loved the sport? I, I loved it from the beginning. Um, you know, so my first competition, so like I said, I was 17 years old. So I kind of got into the sport totally by chance. So my introduction to lifting and in the weight room was in high school when I was playing American football. Would work out after school, before practice or after practice, um, just to get stronger. And my final year of high school, I, I was 17 years old and I was working out just on my own. And there was a teacher that walked by and noticed that I was decently strong and looked like I was enjoying myself. And he was actually also a coach at a CrossFit gym. Um, and he said, you know, like, if you like this stuff, you know, you, you could come by my gym and we could work on it a little bit more, get you a little bit better and see what happens. So I was like, all right, you know, pick it up. Why not? Um, so I would actually go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning before, before school. Um, I'd go in, get my hour and a half workout in, be to school by seven 30, have my day. They go to football practice afterwards. Um, so it was a full day. And, you know, we found out really quickly that I sucked at CrossFit. Um, but I really liked the barbell. I liked getting stronger. I liked lifting heavy, even if it was at five o'clock in the morning. But, you know, I look back and realize I was 17 years old. So I was too dumb to realize what I was doing. Um, so there was a, a Tuesday morning in June or May that I walked into the gym and the owner said, oh, by the way, there's a, a local strongman competition, you know, here this, this weekend and we signed you up for it. Um, I had no experience in the sport. Um, the most I had known about it was what I'd seen on TV. I had never lifted any of the implements, but I said, you know what, why not? Let's give it a go. And I went to that competition. I was the youngest athlete by about 10 or 12 years, um, by far the smallest. Uh, I got my ass kicked, but I fell in love with the sport. I took dead last place because I had literally no idea what I was doing out there. Um, but I had so much fun. And that's when it kind of opened my eyes to this world of strength sports. And, you know, I went off to uni and found a powerlifting team. And once I started doing that, um, I enjoyed powerlifting, but kind of missed the athleticism of, of what other sports had, had brought to the table. So I was fortunate enough to find a local strongman gym that was not too far from where I was attending school and was able to kind of jump into doing strongman a little bit more seriously, competing a lot more often and kind of getting more comfortable in the sport. You say you was doing it for fun, but a 5 a.m. start, like that's, you know, that's quite a bit of dedication at 17 years old. Yeah, it was. Um, I think for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been one of those people to kind of like jump on opportunity and learn from people when I have the chance. And for me, not really, I had minimal experience in the weight room. You know, it was, I was learning from my football coaches um, and that's about it. You know, I really didn't have any formal coaching at that time, but I was still getting stronger. So, and I had always, I had always loved going in for the lift, you know, like practice was fun, but you know, if we had a lift after practice, I, I was pumped up for that. And to be able to have the opportunity to step into, you know, a real gym, which I had never done before. I'd never had a gym membership before that point. Um, you know, it was exciting to me. So, you know, I, under, I get that it was, it was dedication for sure. Um, my parents thought I was 
crazy, um, you know, because they, you know, the gym, the coach actually would pick me up uh, from my house in the morning, bring me to the gym, uh, you know, and that that's how my day would start. And then, like I said, you know, I'd go through my day of school and then have football practice afterwards. And so it was a really long day, but I think, um, you know, while it was, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's strange to think about that, you know, a 17 year old having that kind of motivation and having fun with it, but it really was, you know, to me, it was never seen, seen, it was never seen as a chore to me. Um, it was, it was just fun. I had a really, really good time learning all this because it was all so new to me. So do you think that's an important aspect of being successful is this finest that you actually enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I don't know if there's anybody that's that's successful in life that's miserable with what they're doing. You know, if if you're if you're miserable and you're not motivated, then how do you get excited to do whatever it is you want to do? You know, and I think uh, a lot of people fall into the ruts of just being comfortable. And I think we grow as humans when we're uncomfortable. And I think that's one thing that is really that uh, that's what my early years of strongman taught me was you know, okay, yeah, it sucks at 17 years old to be waking up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym, but this is something I enjoy and I'm having fun while doing it. So why not? And, you know, there were days that I was extremely tired and sore and I, you know, definitely slacked at football practice because of what I had done that morning or, you know, there was all these variables, but it's something that I loved, loved, loved to do. Um, and it kind of came out of nowhere. I think I actually read something on your Instagram. I was going through your Instagram and it was about seeking out adversity. Like for a normal person asking somebody to seek out adversity, like that's obviously against our natural instinct. Like, is, is that something you tend to do? Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think that is the only reason I got to where I am today. Um, you know, as I, like I said just before, I think like as people, the only way we evolve, the only way we grow, the only way we get better is being in, in positions that we're not used to um, and things that make us uncomfortable. And that's what pushes us to be better in whatever we're doing, whether that's business, whether that's lifting, whether that's our relationships, whether that's life. Um, the more you put yourself in an unfamiliar position, the more you're able to adapt and understand and acclimate um, to just kind of open your horizons and be a more, you know, a, a better person. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to adversity, we learn so much from overcoming things that we never thought were possible. Um, as I touched on before, you know, I never thought I'd be a world's strongest man competitor. I never thought I'd have records in this sport. Um, but from years and years and years of people telling me that, you know, I was never going to be good enough, that I was never going to be big enough, that I was never going to be strong enough. Uh, that was all the adversity that, that I needed to really prove them wrong and do what I'm doing now. You know, I think back when, on this topic, I think back to the quote that I came up, uh, with my first year at World Strongest Man. So when we get the invites to World Strongest Man, there's this massive packet of information that we have to fill out and it's medical assessments and then all this personal information as well. And one of the final questions that we had um, was give us your life motto or a quote that you live by. And I had never thought of that up until that point. Um, when I was going through high school, um, I had a family member pass away from Lou Gehrig's disease and I, you know, 
in that moment, I was, you know, impressionable and a lot of things were going on in life. So I, I found this quote that was by J.B. Go that said, reputation is for time, character is for eternity. And that was kind of the one that I had lived by up until that point in 2017, where I got this invite to World's Strongest Man. And up until that point, you know, I was, the only thing I was concerned about was being the best version of myself. Um, and that's where that quote came into play. And then when I got that invite, to world's strongest man in 2017. It was the biggest sigh of relief. It was the ultimate feeling of achievement and accomplishment, but it was also the biggest F you to everybody that told me I couldn't do it. Um, and that's when I came up with the quote, train to become the person they said you would never be. And that has been, you know, my motto ever since then, because even still being one of the smallest competitors, I'm constantly told I will never amount to really much more than what I currently am right now. And I think, you know, especially speaking with adversity, that's what I've dealt with my entire career. And if people can have that mentality of working towards achieving goals and achieving things in life that everybody told you was impossible, um, it makes life so much more exciting to live. I, I, lo I absolutely love that quote. Um, it break, like breaking the illusion of what people think you're capable of is so powerful. What did people say to you coming up? Like as, as a smaller guy coming up, what was, what was said to you in terms of the strongman stuff? You know, I think it was, um, you know, I was, I was kind of always a dark horse in the sport. You know, I, um, I was never really that well known. I, I competed mostly just local small comps for my first couple of years, but I competed a lot. So uh, people saw me very often. Um, and when I say I competed a lot, I mean, I was doing between 10 and 13 comps a year, um, which in the strongman world is unheard of. You know, typically we do like three to five and that's a lot. Uh, but I was competing every single month, wherever I could, I was going to compete uh, because I really just wanted to get better because I was really bad at <laughs> when I started, you know, like I, I, took dead last in the first eight competitions I had ever done. Um, I had zeroed an event in every single contest that I had done for the first 14 competitions. I didn't get on the podium until the 17th competition that I did. So you can imagine people weren't exactly motivated or excited to see my name when it popped up on the uh, competitors list because they knew, well, they actually probably were excited because they knew it was a place that they were going to take above me so they wouldn't be last. Um, but coming up, I think, um, you know, a lot of people saw me as this young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited kid just learning the sport. But when I started to get a little bit better, that's when I set my sights on bigger goals. You know, so when I first started the, con the, the sport and I was taking last place in every single event, my first goal ever in Strongman was to not take last. That's all I cared about. Um, and then I did that. On the ninth competition, I did. I didn't take last from there. It was don't zero an event because up until then I had zeroed an event at every single contest. And that happened on the 14th competition. Um, once I hit that goal, then it was okay. We're starting to put the thing, you know, the, the puzzle starting to come together. Um, so let's, let's try to get on the podium. Let's get a trophy this time. And on the 17th competition, I won. I, I, I went from not, I went from zero and from last place to not zeroing to finally winning a competition. And, you know, that's when I kind of, 
I got bit by the bug again, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, it was like this, this new sense of excitement now that I knew that I could actually do this and do it well. Um, it was like I hit the restart button and I was brand new again. And I was excited and I was rejuvenated and motivated again to get back and do everything that I've been doing before. So when I was coming up, nobody really ever took me seriously. They saw me as this, you know, glutton for punishment, essentially, at every single contest that I went to. And I think it wasn't until 2012. And that's when I've been doing the sport for three years and people had realized, you know, okay, been around for a few years now he's getting better and he hasn't slowed down you know that's the thing in those first three years I was going hard and I wouldn't let anything get in my way you know I was I was in uni at this time and I didn't live the typical lifestyle of a uni student you know like for me I'd go to bed at nine or ten o'clock on a Friday night because I had to be up early on Saturday morning to go train um and, you know, I've always been weird like that, I guess, you know, I never, I never enjoyed that other lifestyle that most, that most teenagers and college kids live. And I think when people started catching on to that, and then in 2012, I, I entered my first pro show to, to try to become a 105 pro and I lost by half a point, uh, the first time I ever went to become a 105 pro. And that was devastating. And then, so that was summer of 2012. Then I went to nationals, North American nationals in 2012. And I was the favorite to win that year to get my 105 pro card. Um, I went into the final event with a 13 point lead and I lost. I lost by one point. Um, so the, the guy that was in second place took first. I took 14th in the final event. Um so, you know, there's been a lot of times in my career where I've been beaten down and I've been so close and just barely missed. And fast forward to Nationals 2013, um, I actually won the national championship by the largest margin of victory in history. And that record still stands today. Uh, I had a 76 point lead going into the final event um, and there were only 50 competitors at the event. So it was mathematically impossible for me to lose. I didn't even have to do the final event of the competition and I'd still win by over 20 points. Um, but I won the event. I won the competition by 55 points. Um, and there's been no competition ever won by a margin that large. Um, you know, and I think, so as a 105 athlete, um, I think everybody saw me as a pretty big threat. And I think that's all people ever expected me to amount to. 2014 and 2015, I took second place at America's Strongest Man um, in the 105 kilo pro uh, pro class. Um, you know, set the 105 log press world record. Um, and then in 2016, that's when I got the invite to compete at the Log Lift World Championships in Lithuania, hosted by Zadruna Savikas. Um, still competing as a 105 athlete, um, I, I think I went to that competition. I weighed 112 kilos. That was me trying to bulk up. And uh, I, I ended up winning. I beat Graham Hicks. I beat Vitaltis Lalas. Uh, I, I tied with Vitas Blakaitis with a lift of 202.5. And it was that moment that my husband actually looked at me because him and I were together at this point. He said, oh, so I guess you could be pretty good at this thing. Uh, you know, second place at America's Strongest Man wasn't good enough. You know, we had to get to Lithuania to get to that point. But that's, you know, another conversation. <laughs> 
So the, the start of your career is just pure resilience. To go for, like last play, dead last, to 70, 17 wins to a, po a podium finish, like most people would have given up on the first or the second. I think, I think most people give up on the first. Like, I, I'm no good at this, I'll give up. What, what was it that took you back to compete to compete in? I kept learning. Um, you know, and this is the, 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 this is the biggest piece of advice I give to every single new person in strongman. It's, you know, their, their advice is I have my first comp coming up in a few weeks. You know, what advice can you give me? And my advice is two things, have fun and learn as much as possible. Watch everybody go before you watch every single other weight class, watch what other people are doing on these events and talk to the other competitors because the more information you're absorbing the more tools you have to put into your toolbox for when you get home and you can implement those to make yourself a better athlete. That's exactly what I did. And that's one of the reasons why I competed so often in the beginning of my career. It was because I met some amazing people in the sport. I made, you know, I still have my absolute closest friends all over the country and all over the world are from this sport. And I think, you know, people, tend to just want to be competitive. They just want to win trophies and they just want to go lift heavy shit. And at the end of the day, that's not good. That's not what's going to make you successful in this sport. If you enjoy it, if you can, you know, find friendships, if you can learn every single time you compete, that's what's going to keep you coming back. And that's what kept me coming back for so long. Even when I was doing horribly, when I was spending all this money to travel to these competitions, I mean, I would be driving sometimes over five hours for a contest leaving, you know, I would leave college on a Friday night. I would drive to the contest, stay in some crappy hotel that I paid pennies for because I couldn't afford anything nicer. I would compete on Saturday, then drive home. You know, I would literally just, you know, to me, like a 10 hour drive on a, a round trip drive on a weekend was nothing because I was going to compete. Um, and I think, it's mainly because, like I said, I was I was learning so much. I was meeting amazing people, and I just genuinely had so much fun every single time I stepped onto the competition floor. That initially, you know, those first few comps, I wasn't concerned about trophies or anything. It was just, you know, let's figure out what the heck I'm doing before I really, you know, commit to what's going on here. So, uh, in, throughout that career, that that portion of your career, you're. Sm smaller athlete and people are, are doubting you already and so half I, th I think I've got the timings right on this as a 22 years old you decided to come out as gay openly is that right yeah so so then post doing that you get even more hate even more criticism from people what was the, the decision like well not the decision but what was it coming out like for you publicly like what was that process like you know that was it was such a weird part in my life. So I was in graduate school at that time. Um, and a few months before that, I had actually, that's when I won the amateur national championship. Um, so I had just turned pro in the 105 class. And then I was having this internal battle of who the hell was I? Um, I, I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with my life, with what was going on. And I needed to figure out what it was. Um, you know, so after suppressing these feelings for so many years and doing the heteronormative thing of trying to be straight and live that kind of life, um, I finally accepted to myself who I was. And, you know, making that realization that you're a gay man in a very straight world uh, is terrifying. Um, 
And I didn't really know how it was going to come across, especially in the strongman world. I didn't know how people were going to react. So I, I didn't really, I came out in October of that year. Um, but, you know, my husband and I actually met in August of that year. So him and I, we started dating um, just pretty much as I was figuring out who the hell I was, um, making sure this was me. I didn't, you know, I, I had no experience. This was a completely new life to me. So meeting him, you know, he's obviously amazing. He's unbelievably supportive and he's been that way ever since. So when we first met, um, we went on our first date actually two weeks before my first America's Strongest Man appearance um, in 2014. So he had no idea what the sport was, um, you know, so it was a weird time in my life for that. And so I came back from the competition and we were getting more into this relationship and I'm realizing that, oh, okay, so this is what real happiness is. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to not have to wake up every day and put on a facade and pretend to be somebody that you're not. That was it, it it was weird and amazing at the same time because it was something I had never experienced before. So in October of that year, after we'd been dating for six, six weeks or so, and at this point in our relationship, I realized, okay, this is, this is it. You know, I, I'm a gay man. I'm happy with that. Um, I'm in a great relationship. And my husband had actually been out since he was 17. So at that point, you know, when we had realized our relationship was more than just a little fun summer fling, um, I didn't feel that it was fair for him to be in a relationship with somebody who still wasn't out at 22 years old. He'd been out for four or five years already uh, for him to be dating me, having to be secretive. I just felt that really wasn't fair. And that was the biggest motivator for me to come out eventually, um, you know, on October 20th of 2014, when I, when I, when I kind of proclaimed to the world who I am. And it was the most amazing and terrifying moment of my life. For, for people like myself who, I, it's not something I'm going to experience in my life. What is it like to sort of be living with, with that in your head and, and the, the fear of coming out to people? What's that, that experience like? It's exhausting. Um, you know, it's, the way I describe it to people is imagine. So, okay, this is a great example. So, you know, you being from the UK, imagine you, you're waking up every day and having to speak in an American accent. That's the best way I can put it. You have to cognitively think about everything you do to fit what other people expect of you. Wow. And that's how I lived my life for 22 years. Um, I, I would wake up every morning and literally have to be cognizant of every move that I made, everything that I said, um, and everything that I did in my life, just to try to fit this narrative that I thought in the box that I thought I had to fit into. Um, and it was exhausting. God, it was so, so tiring. And, you know, I, I get so much, you know, social media is amazing and horrible at the same time. And, you know, for me, it is, I've never felt more like myself when I came out. And, 
you know, people always tell me, you know, I think one of the funny things is people always say like, oh, the only reason you got to this level of sport is because you're gay. I was like, no, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that I've won numerous international competitions and hold records. Yeah, it has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, but that being said, me coming out, I became such a better competitor from that moment on because all of that energy that I was putting into being somebody that I wasn't was now able to be used in training when I'm competing. And I didn't have to use any of that energy, any of that mentality. I didn't have any negativity in my life to hold me down and push me back from what I was truly capable of. And that was really a huge turning point in my life. For think back to like just before, before that, before 22 years old, and you was really going through the turmoil of it, of, of coming out, for someone who's in that same position, what's, what's your advice to those people? So a few things. Um, number one is make sure you have an amazing support system. I think, you know, like I said, coming out is both the most exciting and terrifying of a person, the most exciting and terrifying part of a person's life. Um, and it takes an unbelievable amount of strength to proclaim your true self to the world. So I think having a group of people around you, whether it's family or friends, um, uh, that you know are going to be there no matter what, that are going to support you, that are going to have your back, regardless of who you are. Um, knowing you have that is really important. I was also at a point in my life where I was happy in my relationship. I was fortunate enough to meet Joey before I came out and had his support, um, had the support of his family as well. And I was at a point in my life where when I came out, I had kind of this F you mentality where if you didn't like it, I didn't need you. Um, and I was completely ready to accept any of the repercussions that came from me coming out and proclaiming who I truly am. Um, and I was totally at peace with that. And it, I am different and weird in that in that case, there are not a lot of people that can have that same mentality. But for me, what kept me in that mindset was my happiness in this moment and for the rest of my life is more important than any relationship I have in this world. It's a time where you get to be selfish. Um, you get to put yourself first. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. I think a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community, when they're coming out, they're worried about what it's going to do to others. Uh, and for me, I had the exact opposite feeling. It was, it is, what is this going to do for me? Um, so yeah, I was ready to accept any repercussions that came from me coming out because ultimately I knew that was going to make my life better. That's what was going to make me happy. And my happiness was more important than anybody else's feelings about the situation. I love that. Be selfish. Be selfish with it. Yeah. I think, and I think that's something that like a lot of people have trouble with. Like at the end of the day, you know, you have to be your biggest fan. You have to be your biggest supporter and you have to believe in yourself more than anybody else. So in times like this, where you are, you know, in my situation coming out and literally changing your life and the trajectory of the life you thought you were going to live, selfishness is kind of really important for mental health and just being a good human. 
Um, I think if it weren't for that, I would be a miserable prick and I wouldn't be where I'm at today in my career. You know, I think for me to put myself first in this situation, um, and for anybody listening, for anybody that's going through this, you have to have that same mentality because nobody's going to take care of you better than you. How much of the, of the coming out in the strongman world scared you or like, did you have fear of, of doing that because it's like you say, so macho and masculine world. Was that, was that worrying for yourself? Um, yes and no. And I think it's, it's because, you know, to be totally honest, I think I was completely ignorant to the entire situation. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I think about this now and I look back and um, this all came up in conversation with a good friend of mine, um, Janae Marie Kroc, who's the trans powerlifter. Um, was Matt Kroc, the number one powerlifter in the world, then came out as trans in 2015. When her and I were talking back at the Arnold in March, um, you know, she was saying, she was like, you know, you don't realize, like, you could have ended your career by doing that. And that never, I had never even imagined that. Like, that was never a thought in my mind. That never crossed my mind when coming out. Um, But when she said that, I was like, God, wow, you know, she's right. You know, I could be blacklisted by promoters. I could, you know, throw out any hope of any sponsorship ever out the window. Um, but at that point, I was so new as a 105 pro. I didn't have sponsors that I had to worry about at that time. So I think ultimately me coming out and me like having that selfish mentality about this situation was the best thing for me. And while I was definitely scared, um, you know, especially being in such a hyper-masculine sport like strongman, not quite knowing how it was going to be received throughout the community, um, I was really, really lucky that with within, within strongman, I can honestly say not a single competitor or a person that I dealt with in the sport had anything negative to say. Um, I think back to a few, a few separate instances and there was a, a local competitor back in, when I, back in that time who I had competed with multiple times. And, you know, at this point I'd been in the sport for five years. So I'd been around the block a few times, especially in the local scene, 37 year old guy. And he texted me after I'd come out and, you know, that was a whole experience because it went viral and life got turned upside down after that moment. Um, but he had texted me and said, you know, for the 37 years of my life, I've been anti-gay. And if you, a person I consider a friend of mine and I respect is a gay man, then I need to change my thought and I need to change how I'm living my life because this doesn't change the person you are talking about it now, like getting a little bit choked up because it's like, if one person can have that kind of impact on somebody who's thought a certain way for so long, um, it really is just so empowering to hear messages like that and unbelievably motivating that I did something right. Yeah. So that's what I was, I was going to go on to is what, what you, you have done and you're still doing, but what you've done is so powerful. Like it's wild, like it, because it's the sport of strongman and it's not just 
I, I, I know you know this, you would have had a, a, so many different messages from people, but it's, it's not just that one person, it's thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are going to see this, that this world's strongest man competitor is coming out in this macho sport, like it is absolutely wild. And you say that it was a selfish decision and the initial decision was selfish, but now you're selfless with that decision. Yeah, it's, it has been such a wild ride. Um, I never thought just by proclaiming my love for somebody that it would turn the life I knew it completely on its head. You know, I never thought that I would be you know, sought after by so many people on a daily basis for support. I never thought that I would be asked to come speak at schools. Um, I never thought that I would be the target of so much hate. Um, And I also never thought that I would be, you know, literally saving lives just by being who I am. And I think that is the most profound and most amazing and part of my entire life so far. If you're enjoying this episode with Rob Kearney, please consider heading over to www.mulliganbrothers.com where you can now get the Memento Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you are mortal. It's 80 years of tiny little squares that represent a week of your life. You shade them in into, until how old you are right now. And then each week you shade in a box. It's a constant reminder that stares you in the face to tell you that one day you will die. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Use code podcast at checkout for 10% off. And also the hoodies, t-shirts and journals are available at www.mulliganbrothers.com where all the profits go back into creating this content. I think um, this, this stereotype of a gay man, you've moved that pendulum so far. And it, I think it, it's great for people who, like you said before, who are, are living that life, uh, that macho life and what they're supposed to live. It gives them pure acceptance. Like they can, they can jump straight into it with pure acceptance because one of the world's strongest men is, is, is coming out and saying, hey, th- this is okay. And it's, it's kind of crazy how it's sort of moved that pendulum. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing. The messages, I've seen, I, I've seen you, you post some of the messages. What's, what's the ones that have sort of touched the most? You know, I think it's, um, you know, as I said before, you know, social media is both amazing and horrible at the same time, you know, so I get both ends of the spectrum. You know, I get, I get hate mail virtually on a daily basis at this point. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for me to open up my DMs and to see, you know, fuck you as the first two words. Um, but that being said, Um, I've gotten messages from parents of LGBTQ kids um, who say, you know, they were really struggling with with this change in their life. They didn't know what their life, what what the lives of their children were going to look like um, because they had never been exposed to the LGBTQ community. They, They weren't obviously, you know, they weren't expecting to have a gay or lesbian or trans or bisexual child. But seeing my profile and seeing how I'm living my life helps give them hope and helps gives them something to show their kids to strive for and the life that they want for their kids. Um, you know, but the most powerful ones are, are these, you know, teenagers who are really struggling. And, you know, I, like you said, you know, you've seen the months that I've, some that I've posted and 
having messages from kids that say, you know, I got one from there was a 16 year old kid who literally was on the verge of suicide, was ready to kill himself because he felt that he didn't have a place in this world. Um, he didn't know how he was going to tell his family. He didn't know how he was going to live his life. And he thought that he'd be better off dead than accepting himself for who he was. And it wasn't until he saw my profile on Instagram that made him change his mind. Um, it wasn't until that moment that he realized that he could have a great life. And, you know, to me, that's just, there's nothing more powerful than that. And there's no bigger motivate motivator. Um, for me to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I think a lot of people always say, you know, why do you have to be the world's strongest gay on social media? And it's not, it's not for any other reason than because of how important visibility and representation is. You know, I think young kids grow up learning and being shown that being straight is normal and being straight is right. And there's all these other kids that are a part of this LGBTQ community who know who they are that don't have anybody like them to look up to. You know, growing up as straight kids, you see superheroes in movies always get the girl at the end of the movie. You see pro sport athletes with their gorgeous wives all the time. And as a young gay kid, you never see the person you look up to with their husband. You never see somebody like you on the TV screen. And if I can be that person to somebody, you know, there is, there is nothing, nothing in the world that is more motivating than that. Um, and like I said before, you know, I never thought that I would be, you know, saving lives just by being who I am and not being afraid of hiding it. And I think, uh, that's absolutely been the most profound and most rewarding part of my career so far. I, I think that's why you, not the only reason you get so much hate, but one of the reasons you get so much hate is because you're dangerous. Like you actually are making an impact to, the, to those people who, who don't want it to go that way. You are making a big, a big impact. Um, I think it's why some of them are, are so vicious. I know a lot of it comes through. That's just their opinions and that's how their, their beliefs and yeah, I mean, it's, it's disgusting that it is that way, but uh, I think a lot of it is coming through just being so dangerous with it. Like, it, it really is. Um, in the strongman sport, it's amazing. It's good that the strongman, the strongman community is so behind you as well, which is fantastic. You see a lot of support, oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the coolest part, you know? Like, you know, it's... When I came out, as, you know, as I said, you know, I was, only, I was a 105 athlete. I wasn't really anything, you know, to, to be... I wasn't really a special, I wasn't that, you know, I was just Rob. And when I came out, I remember getting, you know, messages from guys like Brian Shaw and Terry Hollins and Laws and all of these competitors who I'd been seeing on TV for years, who I'd never met in person, didn't have a personal connection with. And all of them just showing so much support and so much love, you know, just saying, you know, dude, it's, you know, we're so happy for you where, you know, congratulations, you know, it's so great that you can be yourself. Um, 
it was really the most amazing thing. And it shows how special this sport and this community really is. And I think it's, you know, the people that I get hate from, they just don't understand the culture of the, of the strongman. You know, they don't realize that the Stoltmans are literally my best friends. And I talk to them virtually every single day. They don't realize that, you know, Joey and Cushy are the ones that are out drinking by the pool and we're out competing. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's, I think, uh, you know, like I said, it's people that don't understand the culture of the sport. They don't understand what it takes to get to this level um, and how much we have, how much work we have to put in and how much we have to sacrifice and, you know, to have their support, um, you know, and everybody's support in the sport really has just been the most amazing thing. And it's just kept me doing what I'm doing without fear of having to be anybody else. Yeah, I, I think it completely leads leads a charge as well in sport. Strongman, it leads a charge if if that's the case. If if everyone's behind it in in the whole community of strongman, all the fans will get behind it. Every, and it, it it obviously does follow suit of of the athletes. It's going to. So it's absolutely amazing. And then strongman being that sport is other sports will follow. So it is re- it's really major. So c- congratulations, man. It's it is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, you know it's really cool to be in a sport like this. Um, you know where they see all these hyper masculine guys lifting these immense weights, and then you see me go off after an event and kiss my husband. Uh, you know I think it's it's really special. And it, what's great about it is you know Giants Live and World's Strongest Man and the Arnold and all these organizations haven't shied away from showing that, um, which I think is so freaking cool, um, you know, because obviously there's a lot on the line for them. You know, they have TV contracts, they have people higher up on the chain that they need to keep happy, um, <clears throat> you know, but for World's Strongest Man, you know, in 2019 to have it during Pride Month here in the U.S. in June, um, you know, I showed up with my rainbow mohawk for the first time and they decided to run an entire piece about Pride and Strongman. Um, Giants Live reworked their logo to a rainbow, you know, um, a rainbow logo that said Giants Pride instead of Giants Live. Um you know, to have support from the organizations you work for and you compete for, um, you know, it just shows that, you know, this sport really is just about family and it's really just about everybody supporting each other and making sure that we're all taken care of. What's your, what's your intention with, to, in terms of going forward, like with the movement and stuff, what, what's your intentions? I mean, immediately I want to get my tricep better. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was there for that. I was there. Um, yeah. we, I, we we was filming with Luke and Tom at the time, so yeah, that was awful. So how, how's that feeling? Oh, so yeah, you got a yeah, you got a front seat, you know, view of everything. Um, you know, it's feeling good. Uh, it is. It was such a bummer, man. Like the timing could not have been worse. With World Strongest Man coming up just four weeks after that, I was supposed to be at the Shaw Classic, which is coming up in a few weeks. Or actually, no, it's the end of this week. Um, you know, but in this sport, you know, the the big joke is, you know, injuries like this with tendon ruptures, it's not a matter of if, it's when. So that was unfortunately my time. And, you know, luckily the surgery went great. Um, range of motion is back full and I just got the thumbs up from the surgeon to start strengthening. Uh, but I am weak and <laughs> it's going to be a long road, but I'm excited. It's it's going to be great, um, you know, for me to come back in May or June, whenever our comps, our comps really pick back up again, I'll be ready uh, for sure. So I'm excited about that. Um, as far as the trajectory of the sport and like kind of where I'm going, you know, for me, 
when talking about strongman specifically, you know, we talked a little bit about my mindset when I first started this sport and now I had these like small attainable goals that I knew I could achieve. That mindset hasn't changed, even though I'm at the biggest level in the world. So that's, I, I honestly believe that's the only reason I've got to this level because I never, I was always looking at the bigger picture, but that was never my focus, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, even though I had these goals and aspirations that were super far down the line, I always set these small goals to keep me on course. Cause I think if people get into a sport like this and you know, they've never done a competition, they're like, I want to be the world's strongest man between starting and getting there. There's a lot of places you can veer off course, but if you have small goals along the way, that's what keeps you on track. And so that's, that's still how I live my life and still how I compete. So in 2019, I set the goal for myself of making the finals at World's Strongest Man. Um, in 2019, the bastard Luke Stoltman beat me on the Stone Over Bar event. Um, so <laughs> I missed my shot at making the finals that year. Um, so that is still one of my goals. Um, and then at the Arnold Strongman Classic, I set a goal of being top five and I took sixth. So, you know, I just narrowly missed out on the two goals that I set for myself, which means those don't change until I achieve them. Um, so those are my strongman goals right now. And then obviously, you know, it, you know, to get one of the major trophies in the sport, you know, would just be a dream come true. Um, it's not necessarily my everyday motivation, but I do get glimmers of hope. You know, I think seeing Aleski Novikov win world's strongest man this year um, motivates me even more. You know, I think I knew I was always capable of getting on the podium at one of these shows. I, I never thought that the podium was out of my reach at Worlds or the Arnold or World's Ultimate Strongman. Uh, but seeing him win, you know, I think it excited a lot of people, including myself, um, of, of what is, you know, possible in life. So... When we look at the bigger picture and the trajectory of my life and what I really want to achieve, you know, I think, um, you know, you mentioned stereotypes a little bit before, and it's funny you said that because, so after I came out in 2014, not to backtrack too far, the first competition I did when I came out after that was the Arnold Amateur Heavyweight World Championships. And the first competition Joey had ever come to, I didn't know what to expect at that level. And I ended up setting the heavyweight amateur world record in the log press. Um, and I took fourth place in the competition. And at that point I was still competing as a one Oh five, um, but was able to do these pretty amazing things. And it was at that moment that Joey had the idea to come up with the hashtag breaking the stereotype. And it's exactly what you talked about before. And it's, it's changing the framework and the idea of what people think gay is. Um, and as you said, I think, I think we've been pretty successful at doing that. I don't think when, you know, the amount of times that people see me when I don't have my rainbow mohawk, if they see a ring on my finger, you know, they say, oh, you're married. What's your wife's name? What's their automatic reaction? They don't look at me and they don't see a gay man. And I think that's what we're trying to change is that, you know, gay doesn't look one certain way. Um, and I think that really is the trajectory of where my life is taking me, you know, after I'm done competing and, you know, I've retired from my glorious strongman career. Um, you know, my big goal is really just to be an amazing LGBTQ plus advocate, to be a motivational speaker, to get the word out and 
be a source of inspiration for people all over the world. And, you know, I've said this before and it's, you know, my, my main goal in strongman was never to win. Uh, my goal at this level, especially is to leave such a positive legacy of love, acceptance, and, and, um, you know, adversity that I'm always somebody people look up to. And it's not because I've won the most titles or because I've achieved the most in the sport. It's because of who I am as a person. And I think that's that's really my biggest motivator right now is is setting setting down the you know the tiles and, and the the groundwork for for having that career when I'm done competing. And I think that's really important to me right now. I, I think that's lovely. Um, I, I do I do want to state though, like I, I think you said it earlier, like some people think say that you're just a token gay guy at the competition and stuff like that and you and you've had that in the past but you are extremely competitive like you, you so when we last when i was uh with the stoltman's you were you were going for the log lift record like it, you so, so you hold the u.s record is that right yeah so i hold the american record uh, at 216 kilos um you know and I, I actually so i hold the world record in the 105 class still um i pressed 186 at 105 um yeah and you know i've been fortunate enough to win some big comps you know i won giants live north america 2017 um i won the arnold australia in 2019 um you know and obviously i've been to the arnold strongman classic and world's strongest man three times so you know i always i always think it's funny you know because i i am one of those people that i tend to like read comments on social media um and they don't to be honest like they the negative ones don't get me down like they don't bother me i tend to just think they're funny um there was one the other day that somebody commented on a youtube video they were like oh i don't even know why this guy's at competitions he's not even that good of a strong man so i commented back i was like oh yeah well, the one that holds the american log press record is one multiple comps you need to just put all my accolades down i was like yeah but you know i'm not that good so i think it's always funny when people try to discredit my career and they have no idea how hard it is to win a competition at this level you know, I think when you're when you're not when you're not Thor, when you're not Brian, when you're not Savickas, uh, it's really damn hard to get that first place trophy. <laughs> um, there's a few questions I did want to ask about Strongman. Um, I've I've, uh, I've put a few on here that I wanted to mention about Strongman. And one of them was um, who, who do you? Because I know like Novikov for the world strongest man was a bit of a people were like you say was kind of like shocked by it in some ways but also like it's like pepped a lot of people up um so for sure classic do you have any predictions you know i've been thinking about this damn competition so much and you know one it doesn't help that the athlete roster has changed so much since the initial roster got released um you know i think the original roster had myself Kieliskowski and Savickas on it. All of us got injured, so we can't compete. Then Evan Singleton was coming in for my place, but he got injured. Um, so now Novikov, Luke, um, and Kevin Fairs were in to round out the the comp. I think um, I would say probably Novikov. I think Kevin Fairs is going to shock a lot of people um, because that event has a there's one there's one super grip heavy event where there's two heavy farmers walk into a really heavy frame and i think kevin could actually win that event um which would surprise a lot of people as far as a podium goes um in no specific order whatsoever 
I'm going to put Jerry Pritchett, Brian Shaw, and Novikov on the podium. Okay. Um, World's Strongest Man next year. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Um, you know, so there's rumors that it's going to be the last weekend in May. Uh, so at least we have an, a general idea of when it's going to be. Um, you know, based on World's Strongest Man this year, you know, and and I, I am going to be confident in saying this. I think I could have given Novikov a run for his money and possibly won World's Strongest Man this past year. I was in the shape of my life in 2020. Um, I had never had a better training year. Um, everything was going right. I was strong. I was moving great. I was fast when I needed to be. My conditioning seemed to be pretty good. Um, you know, so I think that was part of the reason why getting injured hurt so much. It wasn't the physical pain. It was what I knew I was missing out on. Um, that being said, World's Strongest Man 2020. Um, I think, you know, personally for myself, I think I can be and should be top five at World's Strongest Man. Um, hopefully higher. We'll see. Um, as far as, you know, a podium, I really don't know. You know, this sport is so weird. You know, I mean, I think everybody had their predictions and nobody had Novikov winning that competition. So looking to 2020, I think um, the favorite is going to be Kieliskowski. Uh, you know, Matus from Poland, I think he is going to be the favorite, even after having an injury. Uh, he's been so close so many times, and I think now the door is open. And we're also, we're also most likely going to be seeing a healthy Martins in 2021, um, which is going to be really exciting to see as well. So I think I think 2021 is going to be an amazing year for Strongman, uh, considering the 2020 we had. Um, I think 2021 is going to be really exciting because I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be in their top form. I feel like um, over everything that's been going off the lockdown, Strongman has shined quite strong. It, like people are in terms of sports right now, strongman's really got up there. Like lot, it, it really did, especially with the live streams that you guys was doing, the records. It, it really was amazing to be able to provide something for people. So I'm hoping that people are still latched on for that for next year. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, I think people are invested now. I think people, you know, I think with what happened with the pandemic this year, um, I think people found a lot of excitement in what we were able to do. And I think that's only going to get better in 2021. Um, and I think especially once we get the return of, of arena comps and everything gets back to normal, um, I think we're just going to see a massive influx of fans. I think the support's going to be through the roof. And as an athlete, there's nothing more motivating than having that. You know, when I'm in Leeds competing in front of 12,000 people, you know, what's going to get you more jacked up than that? Absolutely nothing. So knowing we have that to look forward to is really exciting. Um, I've got some words for you. And I just basically just want you to sort of expand on whatever you, wh whenever I say the word, just whatever comes to mind. It's not quick fire or anything like that, just however you feel. Um, so if, if you're up for it, so the first one would be hard work. Undeniable, I think, is the first word that comes to my mind. I think, you know, when you get in, in strongman specifically, um, I think, as I said before, I think that's why all of us competitors at this level have such a respect for each other and such a love for each other. It's because we all understand what it takes to get to the top level of the sport. 
you know, I think there's a reason that there's only about 30 to 40 guys that compete at these competitions throughout the world. Um, and it's because of the sacrifices and the work that we have to do. And I think it just, it has to be intuitive um, to be able to achieve something in this sport. Um, hard work just has to be second nature. Do you think that's for, every, for all of the careers as well and people wanting to be successful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're not willing to put in the extra hours and grind and work hard at something, then, then what's the motivation? What, what's the reason? I think, and I think a lot of people have to like find, I, I say this to people as like, you have to find your why, you know, why are you doing something? Why are you working hard? What is the reason you're doing this? And I think, um, once people find that, then hard work, I, I think, I honestly think is once, once somebody finds that why hard work just comes naturally because you don't want to let yourself down, I think is a big, is a big part of that. I love that. Um, adversity. <laughs> My life. Um, you know, I think if you're not willing to overcome, if you don't look at adversity and look at it as a challenge to succeed, um, don't expect anything great. Um, I think there's so many stories of people who have had to fight their way through to become successful. I think there are so many stories of people who have had completely unexpected things derail their trajectory. And if you're not willing to accept that for what it is, put your head down and rework what you thought was going to get you to your end goal, um, then there's no reason to ever be successful. There's nothing exciting at that point. You know, I think a lot of why people don't achieve certain things is because to a certain extent, life becomes monotonous. And everything is just a daily routine and there's nothing exciting. And to me, I look at adversity as something exciting in life. Um, while it may suck, while it may not be fun at the moment, it's what we can look back on and realize that is what pushed me to do this. That is what got me to this level in my life. That is why I'm now happy. Um, so I think... Um, I think everybody who's ever achieved some level of success in life has gone through adversity and not looked at it as a detriment, but looked at it as a challenge to succeed. With adversity, I feel like there's two types of adversity. There's, there's uncontrollable adversity, like, you know, like people who get sick and stuff like that. And, and again, that creates successful people and strong-minded people. If that's not something that you are going to go through naturally or something that doesn't happen for you naturally do you seek, do you go and seek it? Do you go and put yourself in those situations? Yes and no. You know, I, I look at this in two different lenses. I think it's, you know, for me, I constantly put myself in situations of adversity when getting into the sport of strongman, you know, going to competitions, always taking last place, never being the strongest, never being the fastest, never being the best athlete. I was constantly putting myself in those situations. And I think that, again, like we talked about, is the only reason I'm at this level of the sport right now. Um, but I also think that there's a, a fine line of, you know, kind of choosing your battles. I think you have to, when, when choosing to go into adverse moments, you have to choose your battles wisely 
And also be confident in yourself that when going into a situation like that, you know you can control the outcome eventually. So when I was getting into the sport of strongman, you know, I, I was just doing it because I enjoyed it. And even though I was losing all the time, I was trying to get better and trying to be more motivated and doing that. But I always also knew that I always had an out. I had a master's degree. So I had something else to look towards. It was never just my one track. Um, so I think that's the thing is when, when you yourself choose to go and face adversity to achieve something, I think the best way to be successful is knowing that you can and will be successful on the other end, regardless of the outcome of that adverse moment. I love that. That's brilliant. Um, fail, failure. Uh, you know, for me, you know, failure has been, it was a constant in my career. And I think that's the only reason, I think that's why I am who I am today. Constantly dealing with how to accept failure, constantly dealing with how to make sure it didn't happen the same way um, was really the story of my life for a long time. And it still is, you know, I think for me, I look at my career and while most people would say competing at World's Strongest Man in the Arnold isn't a failure, to me, I didn't reach my goal. So it was a failure. And I think to you have to have this intrinsic motivation within yourself to be able to look at each failure as a growing moment, to be able to look back and analyze what happened in those moments where you did fail and then grow from them to move forward to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and I think, you know, all of this kind of ties together with what we're talking about with failure ultimately sets you up for success because if you can look at the things that you've done that were not successful that may be seen as failures and you can sometimes find patterns of what you were doing you can sometimes find little instances in each one that and kind of connect the dots to make sure that whatever you're doing moving forward it doesn't happen repetitively and doesn't happen time and time again that you become a success. I think for me, it's okay. If you find one thing is going wrong, you fix that. And then the next instance, something else goes wrong. Well, to me, that's still success. It's not a failure. You may not have achieved your goal, but you achieved something. And I think it's having those little glimmers of hope and those little, you know, little moments of positivity are so powerful in so many moments. And I think a lot of people tend to overlook those because they all, all like I said before, you know, they're always focused on the bigger picture and we're focused on what is going to immediately make them happy. What is immediately going to change their direction or keep them on course? Um, you know, people tend to get derailed pretty quickly by that. And I think failure is one of those things that people get discouraged by and, you know, really beat themselves up about. But to me, it's always a learning experience of how to get better, how to proceed and how to not make that mistake again. You just said something. It was, it was such a simple thing. I don't think I've heard, heard someone say it like this before. Making sure it doesn't happen in the same way. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I think, you know, a big thing, you know, in strongman too, when I was coming up was having mistake-free competitions, right? So like, even if I had taken last place, if I didn't make a mistake, 
I would be happy with that. And I think when looking at careers, and this can be extrapolated to life in general, things are going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. We're human, you know, like that's, that's inevitable, but learning from those mistakes, learning from those failures and making sure they don't happen that way again, to me is still a success because you fix something that was inherently wrong. You fix something that went wrong before. And if it doesn't happen again, you know, you you've passed that hurdle. You've gone over that to move on to the next thing, um, to continue in, in your journey. So I think, um, I think it, like you said, it's something that's so simple that I think a lot of people overlook so often. Um, but it's, if you can, you know, my biggest thing, and my husband actually gets annoyed at me for this is I try to turn everything into a positive, no matter what. Uh, and he hates that about me because <laughs> I tend to always be positive. Um, but I think that's so important for people because, you know, to me that that's how I've grown as a human. That's how I've gotten better in the sport of strongman. That's how I've excelled in my career um, where, okay, when something goes wrong, it's like, okay, that sucks. I get it. Can't change the outcome, but what I can change is what I do in the future. So let's focus on that. Let's not focus on the failure. Let's focus on what we can do to prevent the same thing from happening. And to me, that shows growth. Um, you, do, you just mentioned your husband and you just reminded me of a question that I was supposed to ask because it is quite important. A lot on social media, you post of you and your husband and how much his support for you helps you. How important is it to have that support system in place? Uh, I genuinely believe I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I didn't have his support. Um, he believes in me in times that I don't believe in myself. Um, you know, he is a constant reminder of all the good that I have in my life, you know, and it's, it's really cool to think about that. And I think, you know, he holds me accountable. Um, he is not afraid to tell me when I'm slacking in whether it's nutrition or in the gym or anything in life. You know, I think he expects so much out of me in all the best ways, you know, and it's, I say that not as like, you know, he's a martyr and he's like sitting there with a whip at my back. Um, he, he just knows what I'm capable of. And I think if I didn't have that, it would be really hard for me to do what I'm doing right now. Um, because ultimately what that leads to is me not wanting to let him down. You know, if he's expecting a certain level of me, in my mind, I need to live up to that to make him proud and to, you know, be the husband that he deserves and the husband that he thinks of me as, um, you know, so to me, it, it's such a huge part of my life um, to be able to have him at virtual almost every single training session when I'm at the gym to have him travel with me to the competitions. Uh, you know, he knows what I'm going to do before I do. And to have that person that's always there for you is, is really so special. And that's why he's such a big part of my story. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love the posts you do, do together. But like for me, I, I have that same support. And uh, I, I just think it's so massive to people's success. And I know some people put self-made and all that kind of stuff. But when you've got that team and that support network behind you, it's just major. Um, let me just go on to the next one. So uh, failure. Inspiration. You know, I think inspiration is one of those things that I think it can come from people. It can come from moments. And I think you never know when it's going to happen. 
Um, you know, for me, I never thought that I would be an inspirational figure in anybody's life, let alone, you know, internationally known right now and, you know, doing LGBTQ work throughout the world. Um, I think drawing inspiration from people or moments is something that I still do. Um, you know, even at my level, you know, it's, I look at icons in the sport of strength, the strength world, you know, obviously there's, you know, Arnold, um, who, you know, weirdly enough is now a friend of mine. Um, you know, the person that I looked up to the most when I was getting into the sport, Derek Poundstone is now my coach. Um, and, you know, I think these are all people that I drew inspiration from early in my career to try to emulate and to try to live a similar career and a similar lifestyle as. And I think it's just so important to, you know, have that reason and have those people to look up to, to keep you motivated and to keep you kind of what you want to keep you on track of what you want to do. And, you know, it does obviously it doesn't have to be just a strongman, right? It's whether there's business owners that people look up to that are successful, that, you know, individuals look at too for inspiration. Um, you know, I think they like inspiration just comes in like the weirdest ways, you know, for me, something that inspires me is those positive messages that I get on social media, you know, messages from, you know, you know, teenagers that are contemplating suicide. Like that, that is so inspiring to me to say, you know, I look at myself, I'm like, you know, what you have and the platform you have is so special and so powerful that every time I step into the gym, you know, obviously I have my husband with me and I don't want to let him down, but I also don't want to let those people down either. Um, you know, and I think the most amazing thing about my fans is I got a message from somebody that said, you know, we don't care about the trophies you take home. We just care about you being there. You know, and that just goes to touch again on, on you know, how important visibility is and how important representation is, um, you know, kind of in this public eye. And to me, that like that is my inspiration is, is those people out there who, you know, I don't you know, people who are listening to this, who see this, they might not realize that they inspire me on a, on a daily basis. It's it's all the people that, you know, give me support and give me the motivation and are behind me every single day. Um you know, that really just excite me and inspire me to be my best. That's amazing. Um, the next one is motivation. It's kind of similar to inspiration, but have you got anything to add with motivation? Yeah. You know, I mean, motivation, I think, like I said, I think, I, I think there is a slight difference, right? Like inspiration, I feel is extrinsic where motivation can be intrinsic. Um, and I think, uh, you know, to achieve any level of success, you have to have some sort of intrinsic motivation to keep you going on your path. Um, but then there's also, you know, there is also external motivation where it's, you see people doing unimaginable things, you know, achieving so many different levels of success that help get you up every single day that keep you focused on your goals. Um, but I think the most important things, you know, to, to kind of separate the two from inspiration and motivation is really focusing on that intrinsic motivation and focusing on what keeps you happy, what is pushing you to this, you know, whatever your goal is, what is it um, that is going to keep you on course and make sure you achieve that to keep you happy? Because I, I think like the biggest underlying thing of what we're talking about comes down to 
personal happiness. If you if you are happy with yourself, if you're happy with what you're doing, everything else just kind of falls into place. And I think that's something that people don't focus on. I think people focus all the time on like, oh, just work, 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 head down, can't think of anything else. And then they're miserable and they're wondering why things aren't lining up in their life. Whereas if you just take a step back, take a deep breath, look at what you're doing and you enjoy the ride of what's going on, things just naturally happen. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. They don't realize that. And they tend to lose sight of their own happiness in the pursuit of whatever their you know goal is. It's, what, it's so strange that you say it like that. For me, I was running a business that I hated but I wanted, I so badly wanted it to be successful. I was just miserable the whole time. I left, did something that I was happy at, and it was successful. It's, it's just so crazy how it falls into place. Would you say happiness is success? Yes. I don't look at success as dollars in a bank account. You know, if it wasn't, I'm not that successful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, for me, if, if you can wake up every day and enjoy what you're doing, enjoy your life and realizing that you're very fortunate to be in that position, then you're, you've succeeded <clears throat> to me. I don't know if there's anything more important than, than happiness. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, when I was, I, I think it, I think I hold it to such a high pedigree because I lived so much of my life unhappy that when I finally got to experience happiness and love for the first time, um, I realized what I was missing out on. And I think that's why it's something that's so special to me. And I think that's why, you know, I, I'm always, you know, have such a positive demeanor and always, you know, kind of have this bubbly personality about myself is because I genuinely am happy all the time and realizing where I am and the things I've been given in life. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm never going to take for granted. Yeah. Uh, being happy, man. So it's so underrated and it, it's just overlooked. And I feel, I feel so terrible that so many people don't understand that as well. A lot of people are chasing dollars or, you know, and it's just the happiness isn't that goal of so many people. The majority of people, happiness isn't the goal. No, no, it's not. It's, it's where can I get in my career? It's, you know, how can I get that pay raise? It's how can I get the promotion? And, you know, while all that stuff is great and important, if it's making you miserable, what's the point? You know, for me, like I'd rather take a lower paying job that I enjoy than a higher paying job that has extra stress and added, you know, things that are going to make me upset and add stress to my life negatively. You know, I think, you know, stress is inevitable, but I think there's, there's positive and negative stress. And I think, the more positive stress you can have in your life, that's what's going to motivate you to work towards your goals and ultimate happiness. Whereas negative stress is going to beat you down. It's going to make you tired, make you fatigued and make you unmotivated to achieve anything better. Wow. That's, that's a really good way of putting it. I love that. Um, strength. Um, it's something that's really, really important to me and not just physical strength. I think, you know, it's something that's always been a part of my life. I actually have a tattoo that says inner strength. Um, and it's something that I got when I, I think I was like 20 years old or something like that. And, you know, for me, I think it's, especially being in a world of strongmen where we're constantly showing our physical strength. Um, I think, you know, in order to achieve 
levels of strength like that, you have to have equally strong, you know, emotional strength, mental strength. Um, and I think it's having all of those balanced is what makes a truly strong person. Um, I think you can have somebody that's physically strong, but emotionally weak, um, you know, and vice versa. Um, but I think if you can find that marriage and that unison of all three of emotional strength, mental strength, and physical strength, um, that's when you see real strength in a human. And it doesn't have to be, you know, PRs on the bar every single day, but you see that excitement. Um, you see that that motivation. You see the happiness that they have uh, just from having everything aligned perfectly. And I think a person like that is actually pretty dangerous. I love that. Um, haters. You know, to me, uh, you know, haters have become a daily occurrence. Um, and for me, I say thank you. Um, I, I appreciate all the hate. I think it's, it's one of the motivating factors that I have in my life. Um, because to me, there is no bigger F you to those people that are hating on me than me succeeding in life. And whether that's me holding up a trophy at the end of a competition, if that's me being, um, you know, just doing what I love, as we talked about, you know, happiness is success, um, you know, and, and haters aren't going to make me upset. You know, I feel bad for those people. Um, I think they are closed off to an entirely amazing world. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody the other day who was a part of an, an extremely um, closed-minded right-wing religious church for a very, very long time. They opened up their own medical practice and a good amount of their clients were members of the LGBTQ plus community. And by treating members of this community, realizing, you know, that we are just normal people, we're not big, scary monsters. Um, and we just have a lot of love to spread. And we just want people to understand that, you know, this, this doctor, he realized that after, you know, thinking in one mind for so, so long, and then being open to hearing people and listening to their experiences. Um, it changed his life forever. You know, he ended up leaving his church. He actually started a new one um, that is completely open doors to everybody. And, you know, personally, I'm not religious, um, but I, I think there's so much strength. And so and it's such an amazing message to hear that from somebody who's thought one way for so long and completely changed their life. Um, but yeah, you know, to me, like, like I said, you know, haters to me are motivation. They, it, it, it gets me excited. I think that's like the one thing where I can pull a little bit of anger from the little bit of that I have is, you know, when I'm in the gym and I'm really grinding and pushing and really trying to get the best out of myself, it's thinking back to the people that have talked down to me um, or things that I've seen online that helped me push through that little bit extra of where I can't pull it out for myself. Is, is there a, a time or specific period of a specific moment where you've remembered of a, a hater that sort of gives you that strength? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I don't know if there was a certain moment or anything, um, you know, as bad as it says, that's because it's a regular occurrence. Um, you know, as I said, it, it, not a single day goes by where I don't get something. Seriously? Yeah, every single day. 
Um, whether it's a DM, whether it's a comment, whether it's um, being tagged in something or on YouTube, um, there, there's something every single day. And that's just part of the burden that I take on, you know, with being, you know, unapologetically me every single day. Um, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. You know, to me, like I said before, the the one teenager who contemplated suicide but decided not to because I saw my profile is going to outweigh every single negative message I ever get for the rest of my career. Even if I never get a positive message like that again, um, those are the ones that stick with me. You know, I tend to not remember the negative ones because, you know, one, they happen so often, but two, they don't mean anything to me. Like I said, I, like I feel bad for those people that they have this, this mindset and this way of thinking. Um, so to me, it's, yeah, I, I tend to just focus on the positive and the good than, than the, the little negative nobodies. Um, it le leads me on to the last word. Um, I noticed it's a post again on your Instagram that at the Celtics game, and you was you was noticed for for the work that you've been doing. So the last word is bravery. You know, this is a weird word for me um, because I get told all the time that what I'm doing is so brave and that I'm such a brave person for being me, and I just don't look at it that way. I don't, I don't think what I'm doing is brave. I think it's just me being me. And I think while, you know, while I'm always honored to hear, you know, that, you know, you know, you're so brave for doing this, you know, I guess to me, there was never a thought of not doing it. You know, I never had a moment where I wanted to stop being me. I never had a moment where I wanted to change who I was. Um, so, you know, while I kind of understand where people are coming from when they say that to me, it's just like, I, I, I guess, like I, like I said, I never thought of myself as a brave person. To me, it was, I came out because I was falling in love with this amazing guy. Um, he was already out to the world. So it wasn't fair to him. To me, that's not brave. That's just courteous. Um, and then, you know, for me, just living my life as an openly gay man in this hyper-masculine world, while, you know, I guess some may see it as brave, to me, that's it's just my life. That's just what I do. You know, to me, that's normal, You, know, I guess, you know, so it's, it's so this, I think this is the first time I've been stumped on an answer. So thanks, Jordan. I appreciate that for making me a, a mumbling. <laughs> no, no, I think it, it makes you even more, even more special. It makes it even more brave, I would say, but um, hum very humble with it. So uh, <laughs> you're very humble with it. No. Um, so just, just lastly, because the boys, Luke and Tom, always speaking about you guys, always speaking about you guys. We're actually shooting a documentary with the guys at the moment over the next few years. Uh, and it's so cool to see, to see them and, and hear them. But they, they're always talking about you. I'd love to know your opinions on them too. They, to me, they're, they're just, they're so special. Um, so I met Luke and Tom for the first time in 2017 uh, at World's Strongest Man in Botswana. It was my first year at Worlds. It was Tom's first year at Worlds, Luke's second year at Worlds. Um, and to be honest, we really didn't have much interaction then. Um, we had, you know, obviously chatted, but all of us were in different groups. Um, so we we knew who each other were. We just didn't have that connection. And then um, 2018 in the Philippines is when things kind of took a turn and we became closer. Um, that's when Joey and Cushy um, became very good friends because you know, they had a, a mutual respect for cocktails. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, I think it was, yeah, for some, it was the Philippines was when um, we kind of hit it off a little bit more and things started, you know, our friendship kind of began to evolve. We began talking more and interacting more with each other. And then obviously World Strongest Man 2019, um, you know, with Luke and I being in the same group, him and I had this friendship um, going into the competition already. And we talked when the, when the groups got announced that year, um, up until that point, I had not made the finals and Luke had not made the finals. And we were in a group with Thor and we knew that meant probably only one of us was going to be going to the finals. And to this day, I, I don't know about Luke, but I think that that was probably my best competition to date. Um, it wasn't the outcome that I wanted, but I had never worked so hard. Um, and it was out of respect for him because I knew if I was working my hardest, he was going to be working his hardest. So we were going to pull the best out of each other. And I think that's exactly what happened. And sharing that moment with him and that stone over bar event um, is, is one that I will never, ever forget. Going into the event, um, I knew I was at a disadvantage because of how amazing he is on stones. And I looked at him before we got called out and I was like, let's put on a show. And, you know, we went back and forth on that stone. And I think I did, I did 10 reps. He pushed over the 11th and that's when I failed. And I think at that moment, you can see the respect and the love that we have for each other because what people forget is this was Luke's first time making it to the World's Strongest Man finals. Most people in that scenario would be jumping up and down, screaming, ripping their shirt off and just overwhelmed with excitement. And in that moment, Instead, we made eye contact across the across the stage and he just came over to me and we just, you know, have arguably one of the most iconic hugs in World's Strongest Man history. Um, you know, it was at the moment he started crying. I was getting teared up and I, I you know, I was just so happy for him in that moment. Um, gutted for myself, but but really just happy and excited for him to see what he could do. Uh, and then speaking to Tom, you know, it's, it's amazing because, you know, while him and I don't have the same situation, we're both at a, you know, we both have something special about us, right. You know, like with me being the openly gay strong man and, you know, Tom living a life with, with autism. And I think he is such, such a person of inspiration to an entire community that people often look at that they can never achieve anything. I think there's this stigma, just like there's with gay men, that people that are on the spectrum can never amount to anything special, can never achieve any level of success. And I think Tom is just turning those people in that world on their heads and doing it with such ease and such class and such grace um, that it's it's never a doubt in his mind. And I think he's he's such a special athlete to be able to do that. And you know, with, with his wife, Sinead being such a big supporter of his, um, you know, I've been, you know, I just, I consider myself so lucky to have, to have Tom and Lucas as two of my closest friends in this sport. They really are just amazing, amazing people. I miss them. 
because I haven't seen them since World last year. This is the this is the longest we've been apart for so long. Um, you know, but uh, you know, we we still talk like I said on a regular basis, and it's it really is just a special special friendship that I have with them. I can tell you that they talk about you a lot. They do genuinely talk about you a lot. A lot of love for you. So. That's amazing. I love hearing that. Um, so when when the world opens back up and is all to normal, uh, I'm excited to meet you and get some get some footage of you training, and we'll we'll do this interview properly. But thank you so much for gracing me today. I appreciate it a lot. No, oh, absolutely, Jordan. Thank you so much. I mean, Joey and I are actually hoping to come over to Scotland when all this is up. Oh, really? Yeah, we re- we really do. We're, we want to try to get out there, um, you know, because we've never been. Um, so that's that's our plan once once we're able to. Okay, wicked. Um, yeah, so we're, I'm excited for that. Definitely hook something up in the future. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me a bunch of places. So on YouTube, World Strongest Gay, uh, Instagram, World Strongest Gay. Just type in World Strongest Gay anywhere on the internet, and you will find me. Um, pretty hard to miss. There's only one of me. So uh, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and also my website, World Strongest. Thank you very much, Rob. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much to Rob for doing this with us. Uh, I get to see Rob quite frequently on the strongman circuit at the moment. He's always, always motivational to watch for me. Um, just based on, obviously he's dealt with a lot of adversity, but just based on the fact that he is a lot smaller than the other guys and he is one of the strongest freaking dudes in the world. It is insane. Um, so yeah, thank you to Rob. Thank you to everybody who supported us. Thank you to everybody who's purchased things from mulliganbrothers.com. You know, all the profits go back into creating this content. The poster is now available. Uh, the Memento Mori poster is available at mulliganbrothers.com where all the profits go back into creating this. Use code podcast at checkout for 10% off the poster. T-shirts, hoodies, and journals are also available. Um, yeah, thank you so much to everybody who supported us. Head over to Instagram as well and come say hello. Give us some suggestions of what we can do. Uh, I'm always open to discussion. I try and get back to as many people as possible. So if I have missed you, I apologize. Uh, But thank you to everybody. We just hit half a million followers on Instagram, which is really good. And the Mulligan Rivers account's over 600 and something thousand now as well, which is pretty crazy. Maybe we can make a million by the end of the, the year. But yeah, guys, thank you for watching. Have a blessed and productive day and you'll hear me in the next one. Peace.